Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 157 with Dr. Michael Horowitz. Uh, we're talking about radical cooperation and collaboration. His work involves a networked approach between separate higher ed institutions, having a formal partnership and uh, system together all across the country supporting students. And it's just a really unique way to address kind of the the needs of scale and kind of growing institutions uh, in kind of the current higher ed space. So I love this approach. I love getting the chance to talk about it. I'm very grateful to Michael for taking uh, some time out to uh, chat for the show. So definitely connect with him and the TCS uh, system that he is the president of uh, to learn more and some of the other stuff that you mentioned in the show notes as usual. But after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 157 with Dr. Michael Horowitz. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Well, I am very excited for this episode. I uh, wasn't really ever sure if I'd get the opportunity to focus in on something that I have been really geeking out about and seeing a lot more people talking about is sort of this networked approach to higher education institutions being a lot more collaborative and doing it in a lot more of a formal way versus just, you know, what I think kind of ends up happening where, you know, people kind of talk shop and do show and tell at conferences, you know, people are sharing best practices and helping each other that we're seeing now a lot more formalized uh, collaboration uh, between institutions where it's sort of uplifting for everybody um, to help each other. So um, we're going to examine a r- really great example of that uh, with our guest today, but we will start out as we always do. Uh, Michael, if you want to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional background and how you get to be where you are today. Thank you so much. And it's great to be with you, Dustin. I'm Dr. Michael Horowitz. I'm a clinical psychologist by education, and I'm the founding president of TCS education system. I, I love the way you set up our interview. We are, in fact, an integrated nonprofit system of five universities and colleges, and we work collaboratively every day to advance our sustainability uh, towards towards student success and toward community impact. And I founded. TCS education system in 2009. I was in the ninth year of my presidency at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. And even with great success in growing a small institution and achieving a lot of success, it was my decision and vision that working together collaboratively, networked, formally with other universities was going to be the way to go. So we're 13 years in and I'm excited to tell you more about it. Because correct me if I'm wrong, when I was looking at it, like they're not exclusively like geographically close uh, institutions. Like I think it's a couple of different like specialized uh, colleges and things. So yeah, I mean, just to make sure everybody kind of has a baseline uh, understanding, if you want to briefly explain what uh, the TCS education system is so the folks uh, can fully understand that. So here, here are five universities, uh, the Chicago School 
of professional psychology, which itself has campuses coast to coast and online, Pacific Oaks College and Children's School, the Colleges of Law, Saybrook University, and the Kansas College of Osteopathic Medicine. So these are absolutely five colleges and universities dispersed around the country, as far west as Los Angeles, as far east as Washington, D.C., and in the heartland, all of it. All of them have online programs, uh, not, in fact, except for the Kansas College of Osteopathic Medicine, which is actually about to enroll its first class. The other four have these ground campuses all over. And we share a system office, which is based in Chicago, but also has scores of employees, campus-based and working remotely. And so we come together to share really every element of the business aspect of higher education, the, the back office, if you would, marketing, technology, legal services, benefit plans. It, it is also in the context of our system is formal and we're led by our team of presidents and the executives that report to me. So we are also finding a way to collaborate academically and really have this networked family approach every day. We, we absolutely believe that what we call radical cooperation, that perspective trumps focusing on competition. Right. Cause in my head too, like why I thought, you know, I wanted to clarify that, you know, yeah, these are institutions that span, you know, with their physical presence or uh, their online communities all across the country where, you know, I think that's maybe the most that many people might think of or have seen is that there's kind of neighboring local institutions that are uh, collaborating in some formal basis. But um, yeah, it's just really incredible that you're doing this on a, a nationwide scale. And, uh, you know, you could, you could see, I think, so much now where uh, certain institutions would want to really kind of just dig in, build a moat around themselves to try to be almost kind of isolationist and, you know, uh, just the market out there is so competitive and just the thought of uh, collaborating would be just a foreign concept to them. But I, I do think it's something that uh, for the education sector, uh, I just believe we'll be seeing a lot more of is this, uh, yeah, radical cooperation. I guess just to, I'm curious from your background, I know you have kind of a, more of a, a faculty background. Is there anything that's part of your origin story that maybe has lent itself for you to kind of really buy into this this model or really um, feel kind of well-equipped to kind of help it to persevere and move forward? I'm just curious, just uh, yeah, anything that you reflect on from your, from your origin story? Certainly as a, a student, as an undergrad, and as a graduate student at large, prestigious traditional universities, Columbia University, Northwestern University, I really was amazed at how siloed higher education was. I mean, I, there are many examples. As an undergrad, I was a psychology major and I took two courses that were highly touted by the university and I didn't get credit for them as a psych major because they weren't taught in the psychology department. And then later training as a clinical psychologist, I got a sense of how siloed 
healthcare and he- healthcare education were. And so it didn't, it didn't seem like it worked all that well for the benefit of the student or in the case of healthcare for patients. And it, uh, I think it really put me on a trajectory of thinking, how do you put the pieces together and collaborate versus just run down your own road? The other strong lessons I had, growing the Chicago school, it was 200 students and its viability was questionable when I arrived in 2000. I grew by growing new programs, turning to the community in Chicago, asking business people, what would you want from a business psychology program? Asking the legal community, what would you want from a forensic psychology program? So really having that outward focus. And I think, so when you put all that together, when you focus on community, when you focus outward, you realize you're going to win through partnership, not by sitting uh, at home and, and or on your campus and having great thoughts. And, and going back to what you said before, you're absolutely right. The conventional way of thinking about partnership was, well, we can share a building, we share a parking lot, we can share a campus. And 15, 20 years ago, when I sensed the growing presence of technology in higher ed, both the learning and the business, I realized, okay, then there shouldn't be any geographic boundaries with whom you collaborate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, yeah, is that simple premise for something like that with technology where it's like, well, we could pay for like one license for something and use it as the platform for everybody versus like five different, you know, licenses and that sort of thing. But then, um, yeah, I mean, like you were saying too, it, it's, it's just like, you know, it's grabbing a lot of headlines nowadays too, where you are seeing these smaller specialized institutions being the ones that are sort of on the brink and that sort of dramatic reality also just informing, I think, all the other kind of details of, you know, can we offer students, you know, better resources and support, clear, you know, transfer pathways and these sort of things, you know, sort of the day, day-to-day nuts and bolts of the student experience can be elevated through these partnerships, but then just, yeah, the sustainability and sort of livelihood of, uh, you know, these specialized institutions, you know, I think moving forward in the long term is going to rely on these uh, partnerships and everything. So I guess, yeah, I mean, you know, you've been doing this work for several years now, like to really just, you know, I think this will kind of help uh, guide the rest of our uh, kind of conversation here. Um, You know, this network approach in higher ed, like, you know, how do you see it being successful in this current climate? Because certainly, you know, the last two years has thrown everything for a loop and maybe either would cause some people to like question things or, you know, uh, further affirm uh, this sort of model. So I'm, I'm curious your take on just sort of this model in this climate. Uh, this is the moment for this model. I was asked, uh, we meet regularly with our major accreditor, uh, our presidents and other leaders from our system. We were asked if we could have a hundred institutions within our si- system. And I said, I, I didn't know if that was desirable or even practical. I would rather see a hundred systems like ours flourish. I think uh, I, I've been a bit surprised at the lack of uptake 
uh, we, we don't hold any secrets in terms of how we're structured and how we operate. And, and I've spoken to many affinity groups in higher education. I think uh, when we talk about being integrated and formally governed, our institutions have taken that bold step to, in effect, join the system, agree to share at the governance levels. So we have board members that are agreeing to and endorsing and being part of that same mandate. We, we share information among the independent boards of our colleges, among our colleagues. So I, I think, number one, it creates stability. You use that word. Uh, th this is the moment for institutions that feel like they're struggling to think about a shared resource model like ours to relieve themselves of unneeded administrative costs. Uh, the, the last few weeks I've been <laughs> reflecting because I've been at some big conferences, just how much money higher ed is burning up, I, as, as you suggested, spending it in small buckets instead of pooling resources. So when you put it all together, you have that stability and then the colleges can focus more on supporting students and faculty and the academic heart. Yeah. Well, and my mind is just kind of bouncing around and connecting some dots because like what you said about, about your origin story or like being at one institution and seeing how things are siloed is kind of like the punchline of this where it's like, yeah, you're at one institution and like, you know, from the school of this and that to the other school, like it's all kind of isolated and, you know, kind of running uh, amok at times. And then uh, I feel like sometimes even, you know, your like state systems, depending on how they came up, you know, there's kind of these sliding scales of sort of the uh, kind of interconnectedness or the kind of the independence of, you know, well, technically, yeah, they're all part of the same kind of family, but, you know, they're, they're working really independently of each other. Um, cause it makes me think of like, um, Rutgers in New Jersey is the state university where, I mean, there's many other public institutions as well, but like the separate campuses came up so independently of each other. And they're like, you know, and it's just the only shorthand that I have. I'm sure others are like this as well, but like, they just, I don't know. I don't. I just don't sense that it feels like a seamless kind of right. Uh, experience. I, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. That from the outside, it looks like there's not commitment to we're one university. You know, maybe separate campuses. In our organization, there is the buy-in that we are one system. We're focused on each other's success. We are distinct colleges. We each have our own missions, our own academic heart, our academic heart uh, is unique at each institution. And we're working for the common good of all the institutions. It, it was the other day, one of the presidents was reflecting because some of our programs even overlap, you know, there's, we, we are very strong in psychology and behavioral sciences. Three of our colleges have those programs. If one or five students end up at the second college versus the first, it doesn't matter. We're, we're part of this meeting an urgent community need to create more mental health professionals. And now going forward with the medical school and nursing and new programs, healthcare professionals. So let, let's focus on the big things 
let, let's work together for the students, for the faculty, for the needs of our society. Well, because, yeah, I imagine it's going to be kind of those, those sliding scales of, you know, it's not or, you know, maybe the, the spectrum, you know, whatever sort of uh, metaphor, but like, you know, where somebody might think that this model, like buying into it is going to mean like, oh, it's some authoritative, like, you know, dictatorship or something or the other side where it's like, oh, well, it's just a partnership, you know, in name only, like it's still all these independent places working together that like, it really is going to ebb and flow, I'm sure, depending on maybe what's going on on the needs or something, but like, yeah, at the core of it, you know, you're granting just greater capacity in terms of like, you know, yeah, like what type of programs are offered, just more sections of courses so that, you know, it doesn't have to be everybody kind of crammed into one or, you know, that you're limiting who can take what courses when and those sort of things. But uh, that, that, that is yeah. exactly right. We're, we're not telling uh, any college to do this program or that program. We are scaling the infrastructure of marketing and enrollment support so that we can help each college evaluate and, and structure how they roll out programs. We're creating opportunities for faculty and academic leaders to meet together so they can share courses in general education or build stack degrees. I'm really proud right now of two of our colleges sharing coursework in family law uh, between a social work program at one university and the, and the law school. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think an interesting finding for us, we set up sustainability. We focus on impacting the students and the communities really positively. It, it starts to create an environment where people are talking to each other and you get a lot of unexpected additional benefit of just having a sense of this is my family, this is my network. So let me both seize opportunities together. Let me work on problems together. It's been very profound during the pandemic because there were so many curveballs thrown at higher ed. We had this community that could work through the issues together. And we, we didn't necessarily all respond the same way because we are in different communities. Some colleges are more online, some are ground, but we had that internal leadership that could really process things together. Even if you think about all the transitions we've seen among students and workforce this year, we, we had a common bench to work on those challenges together. And this could be just kind of a quick hit kind of question. I'm, I'm, I'm sure maybe you get this sort of question a lot, but like, you know, a lot of institutions are out here, they're figuring out how they're going to move forward and, you know, ways that they can kind of innovate and grow and uh, all that. So what do you think are some ways that institutions could easily start to collaborate with others, whether it's in their local region or uh, otherwise? Um, yeah, curious just your, your perspective here. In my mind, the leadership of a college has to declare that they want that mandate to work and get, get it endorsed by the board of trustees from any institution that's gonna to work together. Just going back to an origin story, when I was a single college president, I would go to the state meeting of college presidents and there, there was no binding contract, there wasn't a common mandate. So we did 
lobby for state funding together. And that was it. And I, I asked someone after a few meetings, there are these great ideas. The concept is great. Why aren't we doing it? And he said, no, we're not even going to buy toilet paper together, let alone anything further. So it, it has to start with that where it's formalized. I think once you have that, the sky's the limit in terms of creativity. I, I, I can tell you, you know, 10 or a dozen areas in which we collaborate. The sky's the limit from going from joint programs to sharing infrastructure and all the components of in infrastructure. I will tell you that our model is not, does not have an end goal of saving money. It's to grow our institutions and power the, the vision and strategic plan of each institution. So it's, it's with a mindset of collaborate to get su uh, sustainability, a higher skill set, more resources, and invest it toward continuous growth in all senses of the world, serving your community greater success with student outcomes. I think that a mistake that institutions take is to not have big enough vision and say, well, you know, let's just share purchasing hardware. I think that's insufficient. It's not a big enough vision. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point because I think that would be more palatable when it's sort of like a small scale thing where, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem as though it might be as disruptive or just sort of, uh, you know, changing of the paradigm. I, I, exists, th I so. think you nailed it there. We, we feel we are a, a disruptor in how universities are working. So I think you're right. If it doesn't pass the bar of feeling disruptive, it's likely not at the right level. You know, I, I will tell you that most universities admissions teams are spending too much time with uh, paperwork and sitting in front of computer instead of talking to students. So we have scaled the admission office and systems such that admission counselors at our colleges can be front and center with students. I think everyone would agree that's where you want them to be. So you go back to there has to be the commitment. We're going to we can debate which system to use, which reports, and then we have to decide on one. So if you leave it to, well, we won't collaborate here, but we'll collaborate there. It falls apart. I don't think it can be an a la carte model. Yeah, but I love that uh, sort of barometer for uh, checking if something feels like it's going to make enough of an impact to really make a a difference is like, does this feel kind of like disruptive? Does this feel like it's really changing a paradigm? Because if so, then yeah, like it's likely going to have a noticeable impact versus like, you know, yeah, you can maybe do a lot of little stuff on the margins, but I think this moment does call for uh, more often than not, at least uh, some kind of broader strokes uh, changes so that institutions see you know, bigger impact. We share uh, our major uh, benefit plans, for example. So I think there's no question that we can have better health care and lower premiums, ensuring a bigger base of employees. And what I'm getting to, in addition, is because we have a committee 
of employees across all our entities working together on monitoring our, let's say, retirement plan, you, you, you build uh, that spirit of radical cooperation where people say, oh, that was really great. We worked together across institutions. We assessed plans. We kept it solid. There are other things we can work on. And then, yeah, that's, that's a, a good example is uh, something like healthcare is like one of those big things. If you're disrupted, it's going to have a pretty big impact. Um, so last kind of broader question, because I think here, like so much of this is going to rely on, you know, executive leadership kind of, you know, telling the story, guiding the way um, and just kind of keeping everyone on track. And I think, you know, I guess this is kind of a multi-parter question because part of where I'm thinking of this is like, there's so much transition happening now in higher ed, you know, as many industries have where people are resigning and, you know, going elsewhere, just a very competitive job market and everything. So, you know, the big question, what is the role that executive leadership plays, you know, in this sort of space, but then like, you know, balancing, keeping people with kind of a steady hand, but also just managing healthy transitions and everything, I think is a big part of what, you know, executives have to have to do. But um, yeah, just curious your thoughts sort of broadly of like the role of, you know, um, I'm sure, yeah, like the, the executives, like your team, the people who you're working with, you know, closely every day. So that that's my, I have seven people working with me directly and our five college presidents when you fully integrate the organization and you discuss policies together and best practices, I think it keeps leadership more motivated. We, we have a lot of long-term leaders in the organization. Uh, we've had people fill in for gaps when someone retired or took another job outside our system. I think that keeps leadership motivated aware of challenges. And so we have been able to manage transitions quite effectively. And just in the last year, we had a chief academic officer of one of the universities leave because he became a president elsewhere. And our system chief academic officer stepped in. And I think the university felt like they didn't miss a beat. That president that brought in the system chief academic officer, he knew her as a colleague. So the relationship was there, the confidence and the expertise was there. And her role was to get them over the hump and help them hire the best possible new person, which they have now done. I'd love to tell you about our medical school in that vein, if if that's Mm -hmm, okay. mm -hmm. The president of the Kansas College of Osteopathic medicine was the dean of the online campus at the Chicago School. So again, someone with the organization for a long time knew the model. We were looking for strong leadership to move to another city and lead a startup operation. It's It was a new endeavor for us. It's a really big multi-year project. And I think that's an example of Perhaps we could have found a good leader outside the organization, but we knew we had someone for many, many years who had grown through our collaborative model. And really, the Kansas College of 
osteopathic medicine, it's standing up with a big focus on partnering with its surrounding community in, in Kansas, and then heavily on partnering with our universities and our system office. So th that was a, that's one of the biggest things we have ever accomplished as a system, the creation of a brand new medical school. And I think the depth of leadership, the depth of spirit of cooperation absolutely supported that. Well, I think too, what's just made me think of sort of broadly is like how unique the work that you're doing is like within higher ed and just needing that person who gets it and can provide that continuity and just, you know, can hit the ground running and everything is so valuable, um, you know, at that executive level, because then they can help sort of, you know, uh, get others on board and understanding of how all this works and everything, uh, you know, down through kind of the org structure and everything. So, well, right. As a, as a brand new medical school, we were bringing in sophisticated systems that are already in use. So we had a leader in the president that had been through that experience of these are the systems we use. They've been tested. We can focus on curriculum, recruiting students, implementing the best learning technology. Some of that was absolutely new. Now we have a sense as they push us into new technology and best practices and healthcare education, we can leverage that back to our other institutions that have healthcare programs. Well, I'm curious too, like if there are any uh, resources, we just like to ask folks about this, but here's especially for this work, um, any books, podcasts, articles, things that have been helpful uh, to you in doing this work over the past uh, several years? I'm a big fan of disruptors, you know, so following uh, articles and talks they've given in, in the last two, in the last couple of years, I've read the books uh, by Michael Crow, the president at Arizona State University. He's absolutely disrupted, it seems to me, what it means to be a public university. Uh, you know, as an example, uh, again, looking from the outside, he said, if you have a B average in high school, come to ASU. I don't believe there's a lot of value in the dated infrastructure around enrollment. So that, that's just one example. But he has a great book on the public university. And of course, there's there's Paul LeBlanc, a similar tra trajectory of coming to a small, struggling, traditional campus and figuring out how to create access and affordability as a private nonprofit institution. So I, I, I think this is the era for bold experiments in higher ed. Uh, so those are two I've turned to on the outside. I myself have a... Uh, column that I write for, uh, reg I regularly write for the Forbes Nonprofit Council. So that's out there if people want to read uh, what I've written. And on my LinkedIn profile, Dr. Michael Horowitz, there's a link to all of those pieces and other recordings and videos I've done. I, I would encourage higher ed leaders, 
not to work around the edges at this point. L look at the examples where you can shake things up in a in a profound way. Absolutely. Um, and you know, those, I, mean, I, I see those names a lot, just like other podcasts and uh, conferences and stuff, and they've always got really insightful things to to say. So um, yeah, we'll link out to them for sure. Um, but we will end the episode as we always do, just give you the opportunity to share a final thought or call to action on this topic to wrap everything up. I am very happy to do that. And I'll, I'll close with this thought. Take risks as a higher ed leader, risks that are meeting big community needs. That's what we did in standing up a medical school. And, you know, we think that we, we've studied, we anticipate a billion dollar impact in that Wichita community in the next dozen years by standing up the nation's next medical school. So take those risks, answer the community need. I would love it if uh, people would take a look at our website, tcsedsystem.edu. They'll learn about our five colleges and universities and, and all about the infrastructure and radical cooperation that we share every day. And as I mentioned, my LinkedIn, Dr. Michael Horowitz, welcome people taking a look at what I've read and talked about in this higher ed disruption space. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have ways to connect with you and uh, the work that you're doing with TCS. And I uh, just thank you so much for committing to this uh, work. Again, I, I just love talking about it and the potential. And uh, I strongly believe we'll see it catching on so much more in the coming years. So I uh, appreciate you sort of heralding the way and blazing the trail and uh, talking all about it for the show here. So uh, yeah, just thank you so much for your time and all that you shared. I appreciate it very much. Uh, looking forward to uh, the broadcast and following more of your future broadcasts with other disruptors. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek podcast.